For the entire month of January, I only took cold showers. And here's how it went. Hello everyone, welcome back to Thoughts in Progress. I'm Nina Alexandria, and this is the podcast that hosts ideas freely flowing from women's stories, adulting, Gen Z living, faiths, and personal philosophies. Here, we turn conversations into content, into a consciousness racing, as we build in messages and advocacies, creating a fusion on mine, yours, and their trains of thought. From the most and least discussed, the overlooked and underrated, the taboo, and thoughts never even thought of. Welcome to our Thoughts in Progress. last year i was scrolling through podcasts youtube videos you know the usual when i came across and chose to click on matt diavella's 2019 30 day habits concluding video where he talked about what he had learned in the past year about habits systems and just how far can you push yourself to be better so basically matt was an mvp and took on 11 series of new habits that he did for 30 days each for the entirety of 2019 with one of them being to take cold showers. Crazy, right? Well, I was feeling crazier, decided to do just that. Keep in mind that I went to this experiment with the intent to learn about self-development, given that that was why Matt did it in the first place. It's uncomfortable, he said. That's why I was doing it. That's why it was worth doing. He cited author Julian Smith and his work on The Flinch, that bodily response you have when something terrifying, gut-wrenching stands before you. And more importantly, between you and your dream, or goal, or something you need to do. You're paralyzed, you squirm, and you might even back out. What Julian says to be, and I quote, a real visceral example of what the flinch feels like, is that cold shower, perhaps in the morning, just right when you woke up and you gotta get up and going for work. Now, I want to start by saying that I am at a place of privilege, a setup that's frankly unlikely to even be tagged as special or extraordinary. But I do have that choice to turn on the heater and enjoy a nice warm shower. Even running water is hard thing to come by in lots of places around the world. So I'll say it, this challenge definitely wasn't even a challenge to begin with. And that's what I want to point out later on the episode, so just stick right with me let me tell you about the time I unknowingly learned about the flinch way before showers were even a thing to me. So back in elementary, I took showers with a pail and dipper, and even though my parents offered to boil me hot water so I don't have to succumb to freezing temperature every morning at 5, 5.30, I almost always started my day with counting 1 to 10 and jumping up and down once the cold water hits my back. This was perhaps the first testament of the flinch. And this was also perhaps why I managed to overcome all the auditions, solo speeches, and even transferring halfway through high school to somewhere I knew virtually no one from thereafter. You see, that's what the flinch is about. It's keeping you held back from something greater than those 5 to 10 seconds of pain and discomfort from cold water, and almost always anyway on the other side of that panic or 
fear is satisfaction, growth, or simply another step forward. Science and sports have also said their fair share on why cold showers are great for you. I mean, ice baths wouldn't be a thing if it weren't so. From muscle recovery to feeling re-energized to a release of endorphins, those freezing showers are worth the hype. But more than the lesson of pushing beyond the flinch and navigating through feelings of paralysis, I dove deeper into why I'm so attracted to doing this in the first place. So I did some research. Turns out cold or room temperature showers might just be the perfect little thing we can do to lessen our impact, environmentally, and that's what I had my eyes set on. Let's start with the context. We have an environmental problem. Since 1880, surface temp has warmed by a little over 1 degree Celsius, with combined land and ocean temperature increasing 0.07 Celsius per decade, and trends are showing response to human activity. Well, that seems measly. I mean, a one degree increase? Well, we're talking an entire planet's surface area to have reached its threshold to actually get warmed up. And if it does reach two degrees, we're looking at massive extinction, hitting our most biodiverse tropical oceans in 2030 and tropical forests in 2050. On top of that, we are also now consuming much more fossil fuels and extracting 60 billion resources each year to feed us the lifestyle we have. Should our global population reach 9.6 billion in less than 30 years, we will be looking at emissions and resources three planets would have to sustain. This, we're talking deaths and unprecedented volume, a reality too close to not hit us home. Climate action, as we've seen in more recent years, has taken more and more of the mainstream space, from local policy tables to global conferences, perhaps even corporate marketing agenda. We need to understand now more than ever that this is not a fad. We need to contribute. We need to do something. And on the matter of showers and bathing, I got three points that I want to hit. We are overconsuming. We are overconsuming irresponsibly. And this overconsumption means exploitation. Over the past 100 years, demand for water globally has jumped 600%. Demand is closely correlated with growing population, and in this window, our global water withdrawal has been growing faster than world population. Three elements will be helpful to understand this use. And while agri uses 70% of global water resource, the demand for industrial and domestic uses is growing faster. In Poland 2013, a study concluded that 5% of total energy at its final form is found in household water heaters. And researchers from Zurich 2010 found that electricity used by buildings and other living or working spaces amount to half of total global greenhouse gas emissions. This is the circle we're working with. Water use for energy generation and extraction plus transportation is optimistically estimated to increase 20% in the 2010 to 2035 period and 85% by 2050. Furthering on this water energy nexus, but closing in on the matter of showers, did we know that water heating is the second biggest energy consumer in our households? Of course, this demand and consumption computation is unequal across continents and hemispheres, which I'll be discussing the extent and effects of later with reports plotting a 300% increase in Asia and Africa, again in 2010 to 2050. 
To break it down even further, water, especially that coming out of a tap or a shower head, much more down the toilet drain, are underappreciated sources of luxury. We shower to support our hygiene practices, and especially in these times that we are confronted with biological threats, we, for lack of a better term, we shower even more. Because why not? I went out of the house, so I should shower, right? I work in dangerous public places, so I should most definitely rinse myself. I had a semi-bad day, so a bath it is, sure. And perhaps the dumbest reason, what else should I be doing in this time of quarantine? Bathroom habits may seem to be a matter of common sense, and there's this huge societal notion that includes showering as part of your day. That's how to structure one's day, perhaps even count them. But there's a bigger picture we need to learn here. As I've learned from sociologist Elizabeth Shove, showers, they're actually the result of this great deal of social conditioning. We shower out of spite, because US capitalism cradled a rise to soap and mouthwash and detergent advertisements and we've been marketed as dirty. At first glance, I thought climate conditions would be the only factor in all of this, that warm and humid climate signal more showers. but. We found out that with a global average of 7 showers per week, perhaps at least once a day, Turkey, Spain, and India fall behind. Australia at 8 showers trumps the whole white people don't shower much, and in the Philippines, the use of dipper or tabo interests this conversation on our economic and environmental use and waste. Even more so in topic of gender politics, we consider how women are forced into situations of arbitrary beauty standards of having long, silky hair but not too oily and no hair anywhere else but your head. And let's go back to how self-care days are substantially gender-targeted, both because women's hair care requires less shampoo in the shower and more dry shampoo, and that sad, heartbroken days require you to wallow in long, warm, sad baths. It's very multifaceted, and honestly not quite what I expected, but showers are such an integral part of life, why don't we think about it much? Agri is the biggest element in the room of water use, about 92% of the total global water footprint. And with food demand expected to increase 60% by 2050, this intensifies production across all schema. And you know, as I'm a woman of alternatives, I love finding just about anything to replace my gaps in sustainability. Let's talk about milk. As we tackle our irresponsibilities, one of the unsustainable reroutes in the history of hipsters and millennials is that of almond milk, as I'd say the almond milk dilemma. Just like how a pound of beef or a pair of jeans need 1,800 gallons of water, an almond requires a little over a gallon of production. Now I did this quick in-depth, though slightly useless calculation, and bear with me a little, but it turns out that a pound of beef and your favorite pair of jeans are both 450 grams on their own, and a piece of almond is about 1.2 grams. Computing that overhead their respective gallons of water, we come up with an outfit and burgers at a ratio of one commodity produced per four gallons, and an almond, literally one piece of it, not even an entire glass of milk, also needs one gallon of water. Expanding our horizons a little bit, another bad practice we have as water consumers is our neglect or perhaps unapologetic regulation of groundwater. Groundwater extraction expects an increment of 39% by 2050, reflecting the dangerous line we're closing as we near the maximum sustainable levels from down under. Talk about irreversible, right? Now, not only do we shower thoughtlessly, but we do so very irresponsibly. 
How come that having proven the big contribution of our warm showers to this entire deal of environmental impact analysis, we have yet to hear what we do with this waste water, from which having come from our shower heads involve a high density of heat energy? We need to talk about recovery as our means of responsibility. More so, not only what we lose in our showers, but what we put out our drains down to sewers. There is an unrecognized source of pharmaceutical pollutants, or APIs. Topical medication and residues, which can include steroids, testosterone, narcotics, discarded from showering and bathing, are released unmetabolized, thus in their full strength form. This pollutes the environment greatly. And if you don't care, well, when these drugs end up in treatments and disinfection process, can lead back to your drinking water. Yes, honey. And as we live in a contagion, perhaps we can start looking up links between environmental quality, compounds of ecotoxicology, and the epidemiology of our waste and even our antibiotics. It's human toxicity, my friends. Experts have said that non-sustainable use of water is often a reaction to water scarcity. An assessment of China's aggravated water situation shows its multidimensionality, from quality into scarcity to regional inequality, also with reports on Wanghe being extremely polluted as early as 2007, and with talks of Mekong Delta reaching its dangerous threshold and becoming unable to sustain itself like it did thousands of years ago, and may now completely disappear in less than one century. All of which talk about scarcity and an impending water crisis that's already amidst us. By 2050, 6 billion people will suffer from water stress, but at present, I mean, we already have 47% of us suffering from scarcity at least one month every year. 80% of our industrial and public waste water is released untreated. And looking closely at that issue, we have water pollution gravely affecting Africa, Asia, and Latin America. One third of river stretches are contaminated with pathogens and one seventh with organic pollutants. Now, how exactly are we at the cause of exploitation? Well, exposure to these are mostly in the following vulnerable sectors. Women, I mean, who's expected to do the laundry, right? Low-income countries, children, rural communities, and the fishery workforce. Now hear me out. Nina, what exactly does my shower habits got to do with all this? A case study in Lilongwe, Malawi shapes the conversation and sanitation, convenience, and yes, showers in a very unconventional light. Now, given that, a community in the sub-Saharan Africa, what exactly do you think are their showers like? A population of you might say they don't shower often or they shower not that comfortably. I mean, it's Africa, right? What do we expect from all that the media feeds us about that? Sub-Saharan Africa is actually rapidly urbanizing, expected to be the region with the highest urban population growth in the 2020s. Some might say, okay, they probably shower a lot, I mean, it's hot and populated. Yes and no. Growth, in its most ostentatious definition, is both informal and concentrated. This has introduced lots of deficits in infrastructure, with much of social exclusion deeply rooted in the crevices of culture and geography. Now, very interestingly, co-researchers Maria, Cecilia, Michaela, and Minke found that residents of Lilongwe have, one, received much intervention in hygiene and disease control from multiple external actors, but two, with the role of habit and the very pressing reality of water shortages, to them, what's defined as hygienic practices often take a back seat. 
Because third, hygiene by our means of understanding is very narrow and reflective of costly and frankly very arbitrary habits like say, washing your hands after going to the toilet. When four, this community showers twice, maybe even thrice a day out of their own dimension. Psychologically, hygiene for them is strongly attached to stigma and self-image. That you're not clean if you didn't shower or brush your teeth or wear washed clothes, that you can't go out in the world with other people boasting your dirty baby and dirty bodies. Very well also is a role played by the religion, whether as Christians or Muslims. Given all these conditions, with unreliable water source, no convenient running water, their own cultural attachment to showers, they are likely to prioritize a clean appearance over the less visible effects of hand washing. When water is scarce, communities with disadvantaged circumstances will be forced to make trade-offs. Now, of course, we might say, wow, two to three showers per day trumps the rest of the world, right? I mean, we're talking about sustainability here. This is the conversation I want to have when we talk about contribution and impact, because I strongly believe that talking about footprint poses this unfair trial over communities like Lilong West, where much of their showering behavior is consumed by what we want to do versus what we can do. What exactly can they afford to be hygienic? Think to ourselves for a second, as I'm assuming we're all of the subpopulation who showers by means of a shower head. That for communities like Lilongwe, who despite bathing three times per day, forgo hand washing. We're all very uniquely plotted in the social paradigm of showering. From bringing gender, age, geography, and occupation, we all somehow do things variedly. But likewise, we will also be affected also variedly. A research estimate says that much of our dirty contributions to water resources will hit low to middle income countries and regions perhaps, well, particularly Africa. This we don't talk about. Papers have backed the need for technical options to reverse water deterioration and provide assessment of global water quality. But what we didn't know is the density of water quality measuring stations in Africa is a hundred times lower than that elsewhere. It's a different ballgame from wherever you are in the field. So, if we feel angry from having contaminated water bottles or the rising fees from heaters, how do you think the rest of the world feels? I'm highlighting variability of circumstances not because I want to shame you for being in that place, but because we need to understand how these differences and disparities provide us with insight on how we can start creating systems and infrastructures and personal lifestyle changes that can uniquely impact our impact. Now, what exactly does a liter of drinking water or say a tank of weeks worth of shower do? Why save it when effects are almost negligible in the bigger picture? I'm not going to argue that, but it's about being responsible. You don't waste something just because you felt it wouldn't affect anyone or anything otherwise. I've gone on this for quite some time, but as much as what this chapter draws is to bring light to individual action and personally grounded lifestyle changes, there's so many arenas the climate action stands on. From policy champions, a global governance mechanism, big corps and big pharma, the agri and mainstream industry, producers, chain designers, and the technical sector of scientists and engineers. As NYC-based student writer and researcher Kate Lavan said in a newsletter, this is not on us. I think that much of what the young decade and young people have internalized is this self-mentality. And I know that because I've been there. 
from feeling guilty that you're not using a metal straw in your Starbucks drink, to having to make do with your monthly periods and the dozens of pads you use, to wishing you were vegan, like the Australian personalities you follow. It's a burden that you carry inside because you want to help and be part of the help. Much of what businesses have employed is to target the individual and small people, make us feel like one, we're not doing anything if we didn't buy the reusable cups, two, feel helpless when options are far too limited to expand, three, feel unlike ourselves and force us into these thoughtless diets of exotic and unsustainably procured foods, so of expensively zero waste and brand cruelty free as though it's a luxury. I mean, we talked about showers, right? Why haven't engineers manufactured heat pumps for energy recovery? Or why green showers and dry toilets have yet to be normalized? Why can't pharmas make more efficient medications so we wouldn't have to risk dumping it down the drain? And why have we yet to move past the system of shame and self-blame that comes after not having an expensive shower or spa day or, you know, one of those self-care days you gotta get on? That's what capitalism is putting a price on your principle. Now, what does cold showers and the flinch have to do with all this? I mean, did I seriously just spend 30 days in freezing water just to dampen the mood, say all that, and make you feel more helpless against the entire system? No, I did that because you're not. I'm here to tell you you're not. What I wanted to invite is an attitude of intention, of careful thought, that we'll, we'll get to be a population that researches and thinks about how a small act of bathroom etiquette affects other people, other ecosystems. This doesn't go without saying, of course, that all of the above, from industry to irrigations to NGOs communities like Lilongwes, need to do their part too. They need to respond to recommendations, and this needs to stop being so political. It's much more than that. This is a generational progress that supersedes any administration of whether right or left. And most importantly, this is as variegated as any patch of a rainbow. We wouldn't want watermelon or avocado politics now, do we? This ecosystem, this is mine and yours. But let me tell you about my journey so you can also start yours of not owning it because nature can never be owned but of owing it back the impact it deserves it's been well over 30 days actually that i go into the shower turn the water on but only after i've turned the heat off here's what i learned i mean number one it's become a process you know deliberately thinking and tinkering quite tedious at the beginning but then it also became an experience. I learned to talk to myself, convince myself, and actually listen to both my body and my thoughts. To context too, I learned that I had to listen to my dad. That if current times compromises my health and well-being beyond the shower, I had to make do. Remember that safety comes before sustainability, folks, and well, soon enough, we'll get there too. I learned to be mindful of time and space, getting from point A to point B. Honestly, I showered a lot faster too, perhaps what most of you are asking, but yeah, I just, I just had less reason 
to stay under the tap. I mean, I was freezing too. But I learned it was okay to have slip-ups. In the first 30 days, I did it straight, but then February rolled in, and I had what I thought then were weekdays, but they were all just part of the process. I learned to be forgiving. To that special week, I got sick. To that weekend, I was terribly exposed to crowds, to needs of just a bit more warmth to get me started. So I took warm showers, and then cold showers, and then freezing showers, because I learned that it doesn't seem scary no longer. As a matter of fact, I learned that with a bit of conditioning, just like how we roll the toothpaste from one end to the other, this too can be learned. And if I'm being honest with you, I don't ever want to go back. Because this made me think not only of what I could do to distract myself during the flinch or what time I had to shower so room temp would be too unforgiving, I learned to think beyond the bathroom. I thought to myself, wow, this is like a game. Where else in my life can I incorporate choice and thought? And you're hearing this because I learned I wanted to talk about it. I mean, I opened the conversation to my dad and learned why, despite that immersion or instantaneous heaters are most sustainable, most households, not only in the US, but also among Americans here in the Philippines, still have tank heaters. I mean, do we even know what kind of shower heater we have? Maybe it's time to start asking, to go beyond ourselves, myself, and this self-development, and to speak to audiences beyond my bathroom mirror, and tell you all about its magic and miracle. That if this was a great way to incorporate intention and eco-think in my life, maybe it'll too for other people. This is perhaps one of my favorite ways to impact, to talk, and to just talk about this, open the conversation, and hope for the best. I just, I strongly believe in the power of butterfly effects and the volumes it changes. It creates a space for connections beyond coincidences. And truly, that's what life is. As an ecosystem, our bodies respond so much to our environment, to the roots of the person beside us, and the air that brings new adventures into our lifetimes. And so if it's just a shower, then be it. Then it'll no longer be just a shower. It's an act of consciousness and choice and character. This chapter talks about something so close to my heart, my gut, and what I write for. I didn't expect it to be much for a research project, but there's so many layers to the talks on food, water, fabrics and textiles, even sleeping and walking. So I invite you to this circle, a circle of life, a circle of impacts. I invite you to think and tell and feel what the world needs of you right now. With all these changes and the atmosphere of crises, we need to reinvent our way of living if we still want to keep living adapt to the changing ecologies so that in turn we can adapt to its changes this is a growing story my friends and i can't wait to see you on the next page because here we impact less to impact more stay sustainable everyone why I take cold showers. 
episode 10 concluded. Thanks for humoring me, everyone. This has been such a journey. Honestly, it's turned into a paper almost. I feel like I need to defend this to a panel now. Well, good morning, good night, good afternoon. Wherever you are and in whatever point in life you're standing on right now, it'll be a good one. Make it a good one.